0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Good morning, everyone. Loud now. Glad to be here with you all. I'm, I'm very honored to be part of, of this congregation, be a part of this church, to have Uh, growing up in this church, so thank you, Monty, for the introduction there. I'm just uh, uh, very uh, honored to be here. You all have had a big impact in my life, and I just want to say thank you for that. But um, as we get down to business here, please, everyone, get out your textbooks and turn to page 503. (laughs) Well, I wish you all could be up here and kind of see what I see, because as I look across the group here, I imagine lots of different things taking place. I can see the wheels turning. For some, I imagine the simple gl- uh, uh, glimpse of nostalgia, you know, the remembering of the old school days, maybe followed by that, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> maybe, maybe for those, you know, who love school, maybe it was like, ah, oh, there's nothing like breaking the binding on a new book. Oh, and book covers, those are so nice. <laughs> but then there are others who... Uh, who just pulled out uh, their Bibles and realized, well, wait a minute, his Bible's on page 503. What's on my page for 503? See, a couple people are already looking at it as well. So uh, then there are those who grabbed their phones and thought, well, I'll get to that passage when he starts reading it. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm ready to go for that. But yet there are also those who pulled out their phones and said, uh, textbook, is that, a, is that an app? Yes, I'm in the app store. Seriously. <laughs> What is a textbook? Oh, hey, wait, maybe this is a perfect time for Snapchat. Bring out their phone. Got to take a picture like this, you know, right? And then, oh, church life, hashtag church life with the fam jam. Yep, with dropping kicks. Yeet. And as many of you sit there with bewilderment, so am I, because I have no idea why those words are ever used, but... All the kids that are hearing those words are thinking, oh, man, that is so 2019. <laughs> but the reality is things are changing. The example of, uh, in, in, an example of that, those things are changing, is I recently I had to buy three computers for my kids to go to school. They now use computers rather than having a textbook. Their textbooks are all electronic, and therefore, they don't carry books around, which makes me wonder, why in the world am I buying backpacks? And so, but we still are. We are buying backpacks. In fact, I buy backpacks for backpacks, which really turn into a lunchbox, so I don't quite figure that out, but, but we, that was the original intent, was to carry books around. That just doesn't happen as much anymore. So these things are, are changing all, all the time. Uh, Another example of this can be found in in a a picture here. Hopefully we can get that uh, picture come up. This old picture. Now, I don't remember when this picture was, but I I have a feeling it was about 20-ish years ago because I think this is uh, just before my my brother, who you see there, and and Tiffany are are married. And I think that may even be the occasion why we're there is they were getting married. But as you'll notice, there's a nice little book on the table there, a little yellow book there. And so I said to to one of my, my children, I said, Hey, look at that book. What, what book is that? And she responded back with, I don't know, Dad. An encyclopedia? I don't know if I should be more shocked that she didn't know what a phone book was or more amazed that she knew what an encyclopedia was a book. <laughs> Things are changing. And in, this, in these examples, the examples of a textbook or a phone book or an encyclopedia, they're becoming more and more rare. And it wasn't the fact of the size of the book or the type of book, the fact that, the, that there were pages with pictures and words on them that were put together in a binding. There's more to it than that. These, especially in these three examples, these books were all sources of truth. They were all areas that we would go to look for information and relied on that information. If we wanted to uh, learn more about, we'd use a textbook to go out and learn more about things, in-depth things about an area of study. If you wanted to find someone's phone number or address or even a local business, you would use the phone book. You'd break that out and use that. If you needed to find broad facts about all kinds of different things, you would turn to an encyclopedia. In fact, at one point in time, encyclopedias were kind of an element of prestige have a whole volume of encyclopedias, that was a pretty, pretty neat thing. These were containers of truth, but yet they're not around as much anymore. The world has changed, and it's continuing to change, and I'm pretty sure everyone knows what replaced those containers of truth. We all know that the internet and the access to the internet has become easier and easier and is having a huge impact Many of you have seen this progression. But realize that there are those in this room who know only this as a source of truth. Now I'm not here to, to bash on technology or, or phones or anything uh, like that. But I think it's important to bring some light because with the good, with, the, with that, those good things come the bad. For once... There was an idea that, was that, that brought efficiency, that made things more useful, brought people together. Well, that's changing into becoming a divisive sounding board. Instead of coming together, lines are drawn, sides are taken. Things and opinions that resonate with one another are drawn together and causing quick assumptions without perspective. Facts are in question, and rightfully so, because what's shared isn't often always considered true facts. The idea of truth is subjective rather than objective. Now, I want to speak to the young ones here just for a moment. We normally would have a children's sermon, but uh, today I thought I could uh, cover that part there. Um, And I wanted to bring out this little analogy here because for most of my life, I never really understood what those big words meant, subjective and objective. I'm like, oh, this is really, really complicated, right? So that being said, uh, if I were to bring up this here, what are these yeah that's right these are sunglasses right and everyone in this room would realize that yes these are sunglasses and we've defined it that way we've said that if there's anything that that we take like this and we place it on our face to block our the Sun from our eyes we classify these as sunglasses it helps the fact that these are an object but therefore because these are sunglasses they're objective right but these are the coolest sunglasses you've ever seen. <laughs> right? Now some would say absolutely. In fact Paisley's scowling at me right now because these are her sunglasses. And <laughs> she's saying, wait, dad, yeah, those are mine. But so some would say that these are the coolest sunglasses, but others would say no, I would never be caught dead wearing them. Why is he still have them on his face? The fact that these are sunglasses is a fact, but the, the fact that, or the question is, are they the coolest sunglasses? No, not really. That all depends on someone's opinion, right, as to whether or not they are the coolest sunglasses or not. Therefore, that is subjective. If it depends on whether or not it is true, it's subjective. I'm going to drop those. I know I am. It's going to happen. All right, uh, so... Uh, Back to everyone else, though. Things are, it's increasingly becoming more and more difficult to define facts. So what do we do? Many of us may not be ready to confirm facts or to check our sources. That's a lot of work. But the onus is being pushed to us, whether we like it or not. And seeing, and I see this to be especially hard for our young people, my hope is that we've done enough to teach them to be ready to do so. In writing this sermon and reflecting as a father, I wonder if I've done enough to prepare my kids. But maybe that's the way it's always been. I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe that's something that we've always struggled with is defining what is truth. But I think we would agree that the world is changing, and we're starting to see that the world is changing faster. And faster. What was seen in generations is now, or what was seen in centuries is now seen in generations. What was seen in generations is now seen in decades. What is seen in decades is now seen in just a few years, and so on. It is changing, and that interval is getting shorter. So, how do we respond? How do we respond to a world that is constantly changing, where subjectivity runs rampant, where truth is thought of if it's only true for you? Well, wouldn't it make sense to look to what is true? Maybe to something that continues to be proven from within itself as well as from with, with, with external sources. To look to something that has withstood the test of time. Maybe a book. A book that was written over 1,500 years with 40 different offers with more than 24,000 manuscripts that match with the highest degree of consistency. Maybe something that can only be in existence due to some type of divine intervention. Maybe that book can help us make sense of the world and provide a platform for us to test what is true. Yes, I would say that book is the Bible. This sermon series is titled Back to School. And I've been uh, looking at things that'll be helpful, or we've been talking about things that that are helpful in going back to school. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about service and unity. But what's also important and essential in going back to school is spending time and focusing on the Word. For in that Word, that's where we can build our relationship and our walk with Jesus. So let's look at why the Bible is essential. Today I'm not going to go into the details Uh, around the external factors to prove the Bible's consistency and reliability. We don't have enough time in our service to do that. But if you're interested, let me know. I think those would be some things that would be good to cover sometime. But continuing the back-to-school theme, I thought it would be good to talk about three R's. I asked my wife last night, Hey, Tara, do you know what the three R's are? She goes, three R's? What are you talking about? What's the school? What the three R's are? And I first of all said, reading. And then she goes, writing arithmetic. And I said, well, yeah, isn't it funny that two of the three don't start with R? (laughs) Anyway, the three R's, I think we're going to use those to help us understand why we should read our Bible Everyone should have a handout that you can follow along with today because there's a lot of scriptures, a lot of things that we're going to jump around with fairly quickly. So I wanted to give you a handout, and there's a couple blank spots to fill in things if you want to keep notes as we go and then review them uh, afterwards, you're welcome to. But we should read the Bible because it's God's revealed word to the, uh, to the righteous to restore our relationship. Now, in that phrase, there aren't exactly three R's here. Uh, like the three R's from school. But in a similar manner, there's kind of more like a, a 3.14 R's here. And uh, I think we can use those 3.14 R's there to, to help us remember, uh, to make it a piece of cake to remember this, or a piece of pie, right? Well, the first R is revealed. We should read the Bible because it's God's revealed word. In Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, In the past God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to, his, us, to, us, uh, spoken to us his Son, in whom he appoints heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. We learn that God spoke to the prophets in many times and in various ways, Those prophets then wrote those words down. And that's where we start to get our our Old Testament to come from. But then we learn that in these these new days that God spoke through his son Jesus. And then those first disciples, they wrote their experiences down and their teachings down. And all of a sudden we have a full Bible here. Peter wrote about this. In 2 Peter 1, verses 16-21, through he says, For we did not... We did not follow clearly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitness of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven, when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something clearly reliable, excuse me, completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it. it is a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through human though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter points out that the Scriptures are not a bunch of clearly invented stories, but rather he explains that they are real-life accounts. For Peter was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness to Jesus, to Jesus' ministry, to Jesus being transformed on the mount. And more so, he was a first hand account to hear the voice of God, the same voice that rubbled on the mountain in the desert with the Israelites, and where they quivered and yelled out and asked Moses to, to speak on their behalf because they were so afraid to hear the voice of God. We learn from this passage in 2 Peter that prophecy never had a start in the will of man. But it was men who spoke from God through the Holy Spirit. So this is God's revealed word. The Bible is God's revealed word to us. And of course, you can't really talk about this passage without jumping into one of my favorite passages of 2 Peter, or excuse me, Second Timothy. Uh, 316 which says all scripture is god-breathed and is useful useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work all scripture is god-breathed in other words it's god's revealed word he wants us to know him he wants us to know his intent his purpose and therefore we should read the bible the second R as to uh, why the Bible is essential to read is righteousness. Now this is a play on words uh, and I thought it would, it would be good to try to cover more aspects of this but the three groups here uh, that we, we can associate with um, all relate with different ways of how we can understand the Bible. So the first group are those who are righteous? As you see, we would see this in in the Bible when we read some of the the letters from Paul. We see those who are sanctified. These are the believers in Jesus. You will see at the beginning of almost all of his letters. But don't be misled that these, as though they are called righteous, that they are truly righteous. Because that's not the case. They are flawed, just like you and I. And in this first one that we use for, from First Corinthians, that church of Corinth, yeah, things weren't going too well. But yet, Paul starts out the passage like this: in First Corinthians chapter one, verses one and two, it says, "To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with all." those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. See, the church in Corinth is not called holy and sanctified because of their perfection. Rather, it is on behalf of what Jesus has done. They are made holy and they are set apart and they are sanctified because of what Jesus has done. So the Bible is for those who believe the righteous who believe those who are are the believers in Jesus. But he goes abund- uh, but the moving on to the, on the second part here it goes beyond that of just defining who the Bible also shows those who believe in Jesus how to live a righteous life. And as saints we believe in Jesus and therefore we want to emphasize excuse me therefore we want to live a life for Jesus. There is an entire chapter in the book of Psalms that continually emphasizes this point. It emphasizes the importance of God's word and our response to in our response in all 176 verses. It is the longest chapter of the Bible and it is an acrostic of all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so this is a fun one. It's Psalm 119. It's an amazing chapter, but it's very long. But in it we find some of the best passages One of them, we sing all the time. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Exactly. Psalm 119, 105. Another verse that shows passion for those who want to live a dedicated life for Christ is Psalms 109, verse 9. This is an important one for me. It's one of the ones I learned early on. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to his word, according to your word. And just after that comes another verse that shows importance of memorizing scripture. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The author of Psalms recognizes that if you want to live a righteous life, you need to read your Bible. The Bible is showing the heart, the intent, and the desire of God. And as we understand that, and understand God's desire, God's heart, and God's intent, then we should want to live a righteous life. We can see that God is hoping, well, we see what God is hoping for, and we see the price that he has paid for us. And therefore, when we read Matthew 25, we, it brings new light. For the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We realize that we want to be faithful. We want to be followers. We want to live a righteous life. So the first group of of the righteous group is those who are righteous, those who believe in Jesus, those who are sanctified by what Jesus has done. The second group of the righteous are those who want to live a righteous life. But the third righteous group are those who need to know Jesus. They're the group that needs to become righteous, that needs salvation. But along with that, the Bible calls us, those who believe to share the good news with those who don't know. In Acts chapter 17, we see an example of this with some first Jews who were hearing the gospel for the first time. And in that first time they turned to the scriptures for proof. Let's read how they responded. Now the Berean Jews were more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. They examined the scriptures to verify what was being shared with them, what was being taught about Jesus was true. As a result, many believed. The Bible helps give testimony to those who need to know who Jesus is, those who are hopefully soon to become righteous. Really, the Bible is for everyone. Those who believe in Jesus and those who need a Savior. The Bible is for all humanity. For the Bible is God's revealed word and therefore is a testimony for everyone, for those who need to know. The third R of, of why the reading the Bible is essential is restore. As we look at the Bible, the Bible shows us that, humani- that us, humanity, we're broken. Part of our heart is missing. A part of our relationship isn't quite right. In Genesis, we read that that relationship between God and man was broken by sin. It was broken by our decision to want to be like God. God wanted, wanted to, or we wanted to be like God, and he wanted to be with his creation, but we said otherwise. But we didn't stop there. No, unfortunately not. In Romans chapter one we read this. For since the creation of the world God of, of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they came to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires, And the heart, and their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading, degrading, uh, that uh, word—of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. We, humans, traded the immortal Creator for mortal pleasures. Rather than drawing closer to God, we pushed Him farther away. Rather than coming closer to, to those, the, the one who made us, the one who loves us, we ran in the other direction. I don't understand why we push those away that love us. And I'm pretty sure that this goes beyond just people, it's for other things as well. If I were to bring a young person up on stage and offer them a piece of candy or a piece of celery, I'm almost certain they're going to take a piece of candy. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that candy is a sin, but over and over we exchange what is good for bad. The good news is the Bible also helps us understand that this is not the way things are supposed to be. It makes us aware of our sins, yes. And we read this in Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sins. We know that things are broken. We know that there is a divide between us and God. But as I said, there's hope. For the Bible also helps us know that we can be saved, that we can be restored, and that restoration is fulfilled in Jesus. For you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might The Bible lets us know that we can be restored. And it's by the grace of God, through Jesus' death on the cross, that we can be restored. The problem that was created in Genesis, the divide between us and God, can be bridged by what Jesus has done. The Bible is essential because it reminds us that we need to be and are restored through the works of Jesus Christ. Well, that brings me to the last point, the 3.14 point. And since it's a back-to-school theme, I like to stick with that. And I thought it would be fun to draw analogy to pi, right? I have another little object thing here as well. And with the last R, the last R is for relationship. And like I said a, a moment ago, the problem that was created in Genesis is restored in Jesus, Jesus Christ. And specifically, it is restored in our relationship with Jesus. And the Bible helps us build that relationship with Jesus. And sure, we can know about Jesus, but that doesn't really mean that we know Jesus or that we believe in Jesus Well, in order for the problem to be restored, we need to put our faith in Jesus and have a relationship with him. That's where I think our analogy for pi comes in. Because a lot like our our relationship with Jesus, pi follows a lot of the same things. For you see, pi is used to find the distance around a circle. You have to use it to, to, to calculate that around it. But pie is also used to find the area within a circle. Well, that is the same with our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Jesus should be found in all areas of our life. It should be in all the areas around our life, whether it be sports, school, work, whatever it is, all those areas around our life. But in the same way, our relationship with Jesus should cover the things within our life, within our family within our personal time within what i believe within what you believe pi also represents when when all pi when it's also represented as a number is 3.1415926 and then it goes on and on and on and on forever and ever and it doesn't repeat in the same way our relationship with jesus should go on and on and on forever. It is eternal because He is eternal. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read, I pray that the eyes of, of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which, we, which He has called you, the riches of His glory inheritance in His holy people, and His inca- incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. Point three, point one four, is relationship. And it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship is set for eternity, but it should be evident in all areas of our life, both externally as well as within. We started talking about today's sermon with about how textbooks are becoming more and more obsolete. We talked about how there's all kinds of misinformation and how facts are questioned and how truth is pushed, being pushed more subjectively. Well, today my hope is that, for, is that for all of you is that to be reminded that we have a textbook that is not obsolete, A textbook that does not change, that stands firm regardless of the storm. A textbook that has stood the test of time and is full of truth. A textbook that is essential to our walk with Jesus. That textbook is the Bible. The Bible is God's revealed word to the righteous, both those who currently believe and those who are hopefully soon to be believers, to restore our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I heard a wonderful phrase when I was in college and it has stuck with me over the years. But it goes like this. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not. I want to wrap up today's sermon with a prayer. And this is Paul's prayer. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And so I'd like to pray that with you as I read it so um, would you please please pray with me and I'll read this passage. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.